time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active-duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Cops Talk. My name is Chris. I'm here with my friends and partners, Scott and Sean. Um, We are full-time active law enforcement outside of Chicago. And today we are going to be talking about um, domestic violence, domestic abuse. So we're going to kind of get right into this because this is a hot topic, especially now with this whole... uh, you know, COVID-19 stuff, they noticed some numbers are going down. They thought numbers were going to go up. Um, we're going to try and give you some avenues that you guys can use if you feel you're in, in the abusive relationship that you can go to and help and what we see um, on our end. So some of the things that people think are simple is like, well, I could, you know, I know what an abuser looks like. And we all know that they, you know, based on our experiences that they could be anybody, and, uh, women to men, men to women, men to uh, children, women to children, children to children. So um, basically, you know, just so everybody understands, obviously, this is if you are in a relationship with somebody and there's some type of abuse, that's, you know, that's where the statute falls. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, turn this over to Scott. Scott's a, a supervisor. And based on everything that we've learned over the years, uh, Scott's going to kind of run through the protocol of what the police do when we get there and how we have to handle stuff and what kind of stuff happens afterwards. We'll all kind of talk about Scott. All right, so, I mean, domestics, they're, they happen quite frequently. We spend a lot of time handling these in our profession. Um, sometimes they're, I guess you'd say, relatively simple. Maybe it's just an argument and somebody decides to call the police all the way up to people getting physical and, and people getting injured. So from a supervisor standpoint, I mean, our protocol standpoint, um, the way we handle things is if we, we have a we classify them as two ty- different types of domestics. You have verbal domestics and you have physical domestics. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that they can't go one way or the other, um, but typically that's the way that they come out. Um, if you have a, a verbal type domestic where it seems like um, it's just an argument between people, we're still sending multiple officers on those, uh, even for the verbal type ones, because they have the tendency to escalate or maybe they were escalated and maybe they've dialed down a little bit, but then when you add the police in there sometimes to come in and, and try to straighten things out between people, you know, they actually sometimes have a tendency to escalate. The physical domestics, we we send multiple people and typically a supervisor if they're available as well. Um, because what a lot of people don't realize is not only, um, and maybe they do realize it, but, you know, we come into these situations that are hot situations, people fighting, physical, hands on each other, maybe throwing things at each other, maybe there's children involved. Um, sometimes we don't know what we're stepping into. And actually, um, the way that we train uh, new officers a lot of times is the fact that you can come in and kind of try to uh, quell what's going on in that incident. But once you start talking to both parties involved, they tend to get kind of amped back up again. And and actually, um, if it turns into an arrest situation, uh, oftentimes you'll have one of the parties involved might not want that other person to be arrested and maybe they have to be arrested because it's mandated. Next thing you know, you've got um, 
the people that you were there to help to try to separate and calm down now potentially turning on you. So those are typically the protocols that we have in line for how we respond to those things. We don't ever handle those types of situations, just one officer or one-on-one with people. It's always a multiple officer response. And the one thing you said about mandates. So there's in, as officers, we always have discretion, uh, whether it's a ticket or, you know, certain situations, um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's, um, domestic abuse and DUI, I think we're pretty much mandated. You know, if, if there's, uh, I believe it show, if it shows signs of, uh, signs of abuse, physical signs contact, of an injury, signs yep. of injury. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody, somebody, uh, somebody's going to goes, goes to jail. And one of the things I want to stress is that one of the things that I've always ran into is, is like, you know, like when you have mutual combatants and then everybody goes to jail. Right. And it happens at times. I mean, People think, well, one person is the aggressor and, you know, one person's going to go to jail and maybe one isn't. There is times on occasion where you figure out, well, you know what? You both were in the wrong and you both caused physical injuries to one another. And actually, you're both going to wind up going to jail. So not an ideal situation, typically, you know, especially if you have kids involved and things like that or, or other family members there. But doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So, Sean, why don't you talk about the, a situation where... It's a it's a verbal uh, a verbal argument. So we get this is probably one of our top three calls that, that we get we get called to. And when there's a verbal argument, um, you get there and you try and you know get one of the parties to leave. Well, I mean, obviously domestics are probably one of the most dangerous calls that police can go on. I mean, we're coming into people's homes without warrants. Normally, people don't invite the police into their homes for many reasons unless it's troubling and it's a day that most of the people that you're dealing with don't forget so it's really tough because it's a highly emotional situation we get there we've got to obviously uh protect life and then you know property is second to that like most of those situations so once we get the the situation stabilized you're you're to the points that scott was making earlier it's not exactly cut and dry everybody's like you know they imagine this in their eyes when you talk to civilians about this they're like yeah, well, obviously the woman's bleeding and she's hurt and she can't get out and she's down on her luck and all these. And it's true. A lot of that is the case. But oftentimes you get there and you have no clue and everybody's telling you what you want to hear. It took me the longest time to realize that people will lie to your face as a cop in order to protect themselves, no matter what the conditions are. I'd like to think like, well, if anything ever got that bad in my life and it involved like the choice between me or my wife going to jail that I would fall on that sword and say, I'm doing it. I deserve it. Take me, take me. That's happened a lot. A lot of times it's completely obvious that one of the parties was more guilty than the other, but the other party says, no, take me, take me. And it gets really convoluted and confusing uh, for officers. It's a class A misdemeanor to commit standard, you know, domestic violence. What I mean by that is like domestic violence is like somebody's, uh, you know, touched in an insulting and provoking manner, um, touched in a manner in which they didn't want to, like throwing a drink in somebody's face, pouring a beer over their head, those kind of things all happen. And you get there and it doesn't seem that anybody is physically harmed, but what this can lead to are greater things. And if we don't take somebody out of the house, it can be problematic. Now, say it's a verbal domestic, like you talked about, Chris, and we get there and we're like, all right, one of you is going to leave because we all know this is not going to, cooler heads are not going to prevail. Usually, oh, well, the police came now, honey, this is it. We got to get it together. We're going to fix this situation. This is rock bottom. Uh, all too often, that's not the case. Right. And we have to ask, we're like, hey, you got someplace to stay tonight. Hey, can you get out? Can you get in a hotel room tonight? You got any family members? Can you stay with that? There's a lot of embarrassment, obviously, for people associated with being involved in domestics. Like, yeah, I got to call my parents and say, hey, can I sleep over tonight? And I'm 40 years old. And they're like, what, are you sleeping over? What are you, your friend's going to come too? What are you talking about? And you're like, well, because I need to stay here because 
me and my girl got in a, you know, me and my wife, me and my girlfriend, me and whoever uh, got in a, a verbal domestic tonight or, a, you know, a hot domestic that, you know, somebody called about. Somebody felt, whether it was a neighbor in an apartment building, somebody heard it walking by your house. Uh, one of your kids got scared and said, you know, I was told in school this is the right thing to do. And uh, getting someone to leave is usually the least intrusive means that we can engage in to keep this from, you know, getting worse. If we actually take somebody out in handcuffs, we clearly can establish that somebody was the primary aggressor in the in the situation. And uh, sometimes that doesn't always equate to who's most injured. Um, uh, you know, we take them out. It's different with a misdemeanor because misdemeanors, we generally, in Illinois at least, you're arrested, you're taken to the local jail, you're booked, you post bond for it, and you're released. You can go back out. Um uh, with a class A misdemeanor for domestic violence in Illinois, you are arrested and you are taken to county jail because of the nature of how uh, violent these things have become. How wise would it be for us to arrest somebody, take them out, let them get that angry about being arrested and being embarrassed, and then send them back home? Um, they're given a 72-hour stay away that says you cannot make contact with them. If you need to do anything related to that, you need to contact the police, and we need to come escort you if you need to get property or anything out of there. But for 72 hours, you can make no contact with that individual. If you do, it's a violation of your bond. A violation of your bond can lead to a further arrest and things along those lines. Along those lines. Um, the next morning, while you're sitting in county with the felons, you're actually going before a bond court judge for that. I'll tell you this, though, on the back end of uh, domestic violence from a court perspective, although we go to these calls and probably make more of those arrests than anywhere else, they're the least amount of court requirements that we have. I can probably count one or two domestic violence court notifications that I had to appear. And one of the two, before I got there, they called me and said, don't bother. Nobody showed or they settled or whatever. So the fact that we do our jobs doesn't necessarily translate to a lot of court activity on the back end because... People decide to either work it out or do what they need to do. So you would think for the amount of arrests that we made that we'd be spending a lot of time court testifying to these things and we never end up... And you go to those houses, we've all been to those houses where, hey, we were just at your house a month ago and somebody got arrested here for domestic battery. I barely even had time to get the court notice or anything or go to court and I'm already back at your house. And sometimes, unfortunately, you go to those same houses over and over and over again and part of the conversation you're having with those individuals is not just the what's going on here, but why do we continue to come back here? And that's a, that's a big problem. I mean, we, we offer a lot, we offer a lot of resources to people to do things. And I, I honestly believe nowadays, I think we do more. I think there are more resources. It seems like to me at least than there was maybe when we started as far as um, programs to get people into housing, to get people to, even if it's temporary, um, we have a really good chaplain program that will provide, you know, monetary relief for someone who maybe needs some assistance that's in a really bad situation like that. So, again, it's not that people don't want it and, and don't um, appreciate it. It's just that you wonder, you know, at times you, you come back to the same house over and over and over again and you're trying to help people and they just can't seem to get away from each other. And I think it's probably one of the more difficult calls for me because of all of us, you know, our job is to go in there and take care of the situation and fix the situation. You see like, wait a minute, why, why, why are you still here? I mean, what, I mean, he's punched in the face twice. He's choked her twice and we're, we're back here. And you know, the, the, the empathy that has to go into that each and every each and every call because um i've heard different different statistics that you know it takes an average of seven times before um the victim leaves 
Um, and, uh, you know, and the whole thing that goes into, you know, how they feel that way. We'll get here into a second, but I mean, that's really the toughest, you know, because you're like, you know, what's wrong, but you just can't do it. And I can, and I can relate this to, to my girls because it is, it, it is one of our, um, our most active calls or, or, or our highest call volume is I tell my girls, I go, you know, you want a man that you, that is your equal and your partner, but you don't want a man that you have to rely on. You know, if you know, you can do whatever you want in this world, whatever you choose. You want to be a full time mom, you want to be a nurse, you want to be a doctor, whatever you want to do, do it, do it to the best of your ability, but don't rely on somebody because that's what happens when you rely on somebody and you can't fend for yourself. And everybody's heard it. They cut you off uh, from, from your family and friends, they start controlling your money. It starts off with, um, you know, verbal abuse. Uh, they tell you how horrible you look, they tell you what to do, and you go through these litany of things. And, um, the one thing that I've, I've learned over the years is that in the end, whether it's the first call or the eighth call, you just got to be there to help them when they're ready. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's like everything else. You, know, you, you wish that you listened to your parents when they were talking to you all the time when you were a kid, if they set the right example for you. But everyone in this world learns by making their own mistakes, like learns from their own mistakes, no matter how much they see in front of them. Don't do this. A lot of the times the abuse is a cyclical thing. Like, uh, you know, children saw it. Uh, whether it be females saw it in their mother and father and their father was abused, females say, well, this is an ideal example of a man because this is my father. And they oftentimes seek out those same type of personalities without getting any kind of you know, treatment to understand that that's not acceptable. Men see it because, you know, when they engage and they look for women that are docile, uh, you know, that might might be willing to accept that. So you kind of keep repeating this cycle. Right. And no matter how many times we, we tell them, you know, the victim advocacy stuff, we at within, what is it, 24 hours, we have to make a report to right. an advocacy center, even for verbal domestics. So those resources are out there. Uh, when you call, um, they're largely women that you're calling and, re, you know, recanting the, the incident over the phone with them. I asked one of them one time, how often do you actually see somebody take you up on this stuff? And she goes, ah, it's like nominal. She goes, you call and they listen, but a lot of them just go right back. Now, that was just an experience that I had with one individual. Mm -hmm. The stats, I don't really know what it is, but if the stats were good, we wouldn't be going back to these places so much. And we actually repeatedly go back there. But when you ask someone like, you know, you can live better than this, you know, we're there for 17 minutes and they might've been putting this up, putting up with this for 17 years. How are we going to be any different than anybody else in this world? That's trying to tell them what was going on for the longest time. The knock on the police world was it's a male dominated profession. So men had a tendency to side with men and, that's why a lot of these laws had to be put upon us because it was an antiquated way of thinking about, well, you know, she'll get over it or they'll patch it up and fix it and the kids right, will be right, okay right. and things like that. But it, it's repeated. Like we go back to houses and sometimes the kids are now out of control and doing those things. So like, you know, like you, you know the address and you immediately hear it and you go, oh, we're going back there again for another one of those situations. And it's tragic, but like the idea of fixing that and like we thinking that simply because we provide all these resources to people that they're going to take them is, is lost at times on people. They're, they're so desperate or they think despite how much money and influence that they have um, that, you know, they can't make it any better out. And that, and that is like, the tragic thing about domestics a lot of time, and unfortunately, uh, most homicides are domestic related. Most homicides in the United States are related to people that really know each other very well. And uh, we've seen them all from kids getting killed to uh, wives and even husbands getting killed in situations where, 
it's all because of how close they live to each other and what that intensity of love brings to an equation and when it all falls apart, how it's irreplaceable. Right. Well, I, I mean, we've all been in situations where in the worst, I think one of the worst ones for me is where they look at you and they're like, well, this is normal. Like every household right, does right, this. And, right, and I'm like, right. no, I haven't been my wife 27 years. I never touched her. Right. Never. Right. I mean, so, so that's really the worst, but I just think when you see this and, and, and it goes on and on and on, you, you know, you just have to have that empathy. And, and when, you know, cause like, you know, you said we have, you know, advocates and, you know, there's phone numbers and, and everything. Um, but to, that's one of the things, you know, when you see them that hopeless and you're there trying to help and then, you know, when you leave, you're going to be back there and you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to come back, I'm going to arrest him or her. And in three days, I'm going to be back here anyway. Right. You know, that's, right. that, that's really because you, you just want to look at them and go, listen, you're a victim, man or woman, you're a victim and this isn't right. And you know, what do you, you know, what are you thinking? But again, that's just our mentality, but you just have to be there and listen and, 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 and kind of go through. Um, and I think one of the other things uh, that is uh, we've talked about is um, restraining orders um, or I want to talk to, I should say. So, um, let's talk about restraining orders. Um, you get it from the court and it has to get served by a sheriff or we serve it, but a boss has to do it. Yeah. And, and those, those will get approved by the court. And then we're involved in the process of serving those individuals with those orders. And there's different orders, um, depending on, uh, what the circumstances are, whether it's an emergency, whether it's for an extended period of time, and there's a significant amount of different um, restrictions that can be in those orders. Um, sometimes, you know, I remember the first time that I dealt with a family that was dealing with domestic issues, and they've got, you know, one has an order of protection against the other one, and they're prohibited from certain types of conduct, conduct with one another, but they're still living in the same house. Right. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how can you live in the same house, but you're not supposed to start arguing with one another or say, you know, these nasty things to one another or whatever's going to, you know, prompt a fight or something along those lines. So they they can be very descriptive. But again, those those orders are only as good as the paper they're written on. It doesn't necessarily always prevent people from adhering to those things. And honestly, sometimes you wind up taking people to jail that just... They don't care what's going to be on that order. They're going to do what they're going to do, and these these things are going to progress. Right. And that one of the other things that uh, I think people have to be aware of in these domestic situations, and, and especially officers um, looking from the outside in, when you have the um, habitual offender and the uh, continued victim, is what do we look at when we're kind of like going to calls and hearing this, like signs that we look for that, is going to escalate this from a domestic battery to a murder. I mean, because you can go there so often, but as, um, as law enforcement, we have to look at different things and we have to hear different things. And, uh, we just have to figure that, you know, at some point, and I think this is the, one of the reasons why they started doing, uh, a, a ton more documentation and a lot more phone calls because, um, there was a, f- that, that, uh, you know, that there was a, somebody that got killed, and they they could have pre- either prevented it or kind of got somebody involved earlier. Um, but I think, Scott, you were involved with one. Yeah, so I had an instance. Uh, we were brand new. We were all in field training at the time. And I was. we were working midnights. I think all three of us were working midnights. And 
went to a domestic call. I didn't have a lot of exposure to this kind of stuff. It was relatively new, literally only a couple of months into the training program out of um, the academy. And I went with an FTO to a domestic that came out as a physical domestic. So, of course, there's an urgency to get there. We're getting updates on the information of what's happening. Didn't really, wasn't familiar with the address or any of the parties involved prior. But we get to this house and we're walking up to the front porch of the house and we go, we get up onto the front porch. And as we're knocking on the front door, I, we, I hear screaming and shouting from inside the house. Um, someone obviously having some type of heated fight, um, something going on in there. Again, announcing who we were, what we were there for, nobody's answering. And to the point where we made the decision, well, we have to go in here because it sounds like something awful is happening to someone in here. So here we are, I'm brand new, I'm, I'm with a, an FTO, a field training officer, and we're going into this house. And it was a really small house, so not too far off the main entrance where we went in was a bedroom on that on that same floor. And I remember walking towards that door of that bedroom with my FTO in my ear telling me, what's going on, what's going on, figure out what's going on. And coming through that door, I never would have believed it. Um, had I not seen it, but it was literally a guy on top of a female choking her on the bed. And that was just something I'd never seen. I couldn't imagine it. I, I couldn't believe that I was actually at a call at something like this where this was actually happening right in front of my face. Fortunately for me, I took the right action and, and jumped on this guy and pulled him off of her. And she wound up being okay. I got him under arrest and, you know, we got her out of that situation. And I, I, I just couldn't believe it even after that. Um, just it was a real eye opener to see something like that happening right in front of your face. You are you are tasked with being there, the person to help that person. And I, I thought to myself for a while after that, my God, like what if we hadn't gotten there as quick as we did? Or what if we hadn't, you know, what if it had been a little earlier or and I don't even remember who the caller was on it, whether they called nine one one or it was a neighbor or whoever what it was, but I, I just couldn't shake that for a while thinking about that. I mean, I felt great that I acted and did something. And that was honestly the first, one of the first times that I really had to, um, act on something in progress in front of me like that. So it was a good confidence builder and, uh, it, it worked out well in, in the sense of we helped her and, but you know, go beyond that going down the road, I, you know, I don't know what happened with her after that. I don't know. I don't ever remember going back to that house again. So did they, did they stay there? Did they move? He got charged with a domestic battery you know, I was feeling really good about myself, but again, who knows what happened down the road with that? Um, you know, same thing. We offer resources and whatever. And it's weird because some of those things that you see like that, um, you know, early on when you maybe, maybe you're not married, maybe you don't have a lot of experience, things like that. And you go, you're going to these people's houses and they're presenting these problems and these arguments and these things that they're having and you're trying to talk about them, but you don't necessarily have a frame of reference. And sometimes, you know, people look, I see when we go to these calls with newer officers and I see people who are arguing and fighting and have been married for 25 years and they've been miserable, you know, for the last 20 of those. And they're looking at this, you know, young officer, like, what do you know about what is going on with me? What are, what are right. you, what are right. you going to do? You right. know what I mean? Right. Right. I, I've been married as long as you've been alive. And what are you going to tell me yeah. about how you're going to handle this situation? So that's a thing that you have to get over as a new officer too, that you might not even have some experiences like that to use to think to your, you know, how are you going to handle it? You, you're trying to calm people down. You're trying to talk to people, but 
what are, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of experience to bring to the table sometimes. Right. I mean, like, and, and to this, the situation that Scott described is how we kind of train some of these calls. Like we're waiting for that moment that very rarely happens to us where like everybody's like, Oh, where is, where's a cop when you need one? Well, there's a, a prime example of somebody needed a cop and they got there and probably saved that woman's life because it doesn't take very long to strangle somebody else, especially somebody out, uh, especially if you're over top of them like that. But, you know, as we approach, we don't, you know, some of the, some of the tactics we use are for safety because a lot of the stuff that we deal with, results in officers getting killed in these situations. They're highly volatile situations where a person calls 911, the line goes dead. Um, we get a call. Last thing we heard was screaming and yelling, I'm going to kill somebody. He's going to kill us. We get there. Maybe that's unfortunately already happened. And now we're showing up to try to save people. And this person's laying in wait for us. So the idea of a domestic throughout is probably one of the most, for a misdemeanor type call that can quickly spiral out of control, um, because of the emotion involved in it, when somebody goes that far to say, "Hey, I'm going to kill a family member or loved ones," like um, we've had some horrible cases that we had to deal with mothers killing children and, and and things along those lines. Those are things that hang on you forever. Uh, but when you're talking about dealing with the calls, like where people fight, how they fight, we are going into their terrain. Scott's saying they're at that front door. They had a force entry. Entry. We don't normally get to do that unless there's some very exigent circumstances surround that. Like you hear somebody screaming for help. Very rarely does that happen for us. We can force entry to a structure. We get in there. These people know the lay of the land better than we do. We have no idea how many people are in the home, how many people are laying in wait for us, what's going on, where weapons are. We, we try to do the best job we possibly can with that, but privacy is privacy. And if the government knew everywhere where there was a weapon or a gun or a potential you know, harm to us, um, you know, we'd be living in a police state. But the right. bottom line is you get into a house, a lot of people spend a lot of time in their kitchen. You have to get people out of a place where they were arguing because that's where all the weapons are, knives and things that they can hurt each other with. Um, um, there's various cases that we've had for the very few officer-involved shootings that we had were generally domestic-related. When we got there and somebody just had enough and decided, this is how I'm going out. And the police officers have to get there to try to help victims if they're still uh, available to be helped. And then they've got to worry about their own. And then you're conducting an investigation in the middle of this. If it results in the fact that somebody has to be arrested, you're still a bad guy. Right. And again, now I'm not asking for anybody's mercy in this, but you arrested kids parent and take the parent out in handcuffs we try to be as discreet as humanly possible about this but some situations we cannot do anything differently than we have to get this person under control four of us are trying to wrestle control of this individual get them in handcuffs dragging that out that's a moment that kid's never going to forget for the rest of their lives and it's going to probably result in a lot of counseling or further uh dependency issues which is what from what they sprung i mean it's a it's a constant cycle of violence and for lack of a better term mental torture that people go through and then they repeat these cycles over and over and over again but from a training standpoint from what i do domestics are the ones that were like yep this started out as domestic because they were roommates or this or that happened i mean you know my college roommates if i were to see them when i went back to school and we were actually getting a physical altercation by a lot of state statutes that would be considered domestic violence because we lived together for an extended period of time that's how profound these kind of relationships are my brother and I, North Carolina, if my brother and I decided to get back together uh, and we got in a fight, it would be domestic related, even though he and I have not been in the same house for over 30 years at this point. So right. again, those issues are always there and they're very hot button issues. And from a training standpoint, you have to go in really crisp tactically 
And in a lot of those situations, you're not thinking about now I've got to conduct an interview where I've really got to get to the bottom of all of this. So once you calm down, once the violence has subsided, you got to conduct an an investigation that can determine who's at fault and who's not and maybe help why we don't have to come back here again. But it's never as easy as it seems. Probably one of the more complex calls a cop has to deal with is a standard misdemeanor call that can result into some of the worst things that people can experience in their lives. Right. One of the things I wanted to get into is like kind of like kind of help people prevent this. And I think this goes to early on. And I think a lot of people see this stuff kind of early on, but they don't want to admit it. Like even in your relationship. And again, this could be uh, this could be uh, wife, husband, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend. I mean, we've we've seen it all. Yep. So this all this is all based on a, on a type of relationship. And I think a lot of times that you see it, you uh, you know, the signs are there, but it's uh, there's always an excuse, and I think that's one of the f- first signs that if you're making an excuse for your significant other uh, because the way they acted, um, that that's that's a tall tale sign. Um, you know, a couple of other ones were like um, they they accuse you of an affair. Um, you know, they blame the person for the abuse. Um, social know, media is a yeah. social media is brutal when it yep. comes to these things nowadays. Yep. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. They threaten they're going to kill you or your loved one or. You know, throwing things, punching walls, throwing things. And I, and I think if you start, you know, seeing some of that stuff in a relationship before you take it any further, you know, you got to pause and say, hey, you know, it, it, and you just can't just get, you can't stop. You have to stop making excuses. Like, well, you know, he was just angry. Okay, well, I've been angry in my life, in my 52 years, and I've been very, very angry. My, I'm, a, I'm a Polish I, I get angry, no. but I never punched a wall. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? I never punched a wall. Right. I never hit my kid. I mean, I get angry, but I don't. You know, and you have to take those signs, and you have to like look at it, and and you have to. I think people have to t- kind of take those literal that like maybe man, you know, he or she may be a good person, but you know, punching yeah, walls. And we're all old enough to remember times where corporal punishment was more liberally doled out, whether it be shit. And I, I was, I was Catholic schools. I was with Catholic schools. Nuns and right. priests. They used right. to hit us with hockey sticks. Right. And come right. home and then my dad hit me with a hockey stick. <laughs> and it, Cross check. And, and again, we're, we're not here to debate whether that was good or bad tactics. I um, spent a day in jail. But just saying. Yeah, yeah. And again, and we've all experienced that. And now in this day and age, things are differently. I mean, the schools get a lot more involved in the kids' lives. There's social workers working in both police departments as well as in schools. So there's a lot more, you know, uh, notoriety associated with, you know, doling out, you know, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of a thing. And again, I, I'm not here oh, to debate that. that. I, I'm not, I, I'm not here to debate that in any way. I mean, right, like, right. look, you, you know, you go to call sometimes and kids are like, my dad hit me. And you look at it and you think to yourself, you know, a lot of states still allow for that. You parental know, discipline. Parental discipline. Right, right. And, and, and you look at what it is and the kid tells his father to go F himself. You know what I mean? Like that. You know, and like, I want to hit him. Yeah, right. And you in know? the situations where you're there, you say to the kid, hey, I'm sorry. He's a, he, you know, you, the way you were conducting yourself or you threaten your mother physically so your father got involved. It's not domestic violence. Theoretically, you can go to jail. And there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding a lot of it. I mean, obviously, it's like anything else. It's excessive, completely obvious, abusive. We can draw those lines. People have accused us a lot of like, oh, well, you know, they're just, you know, siding with the parents because the kid's a brat and they know, uh, you know, this or that. You know, it's a tough it's a tough road. I mean, you, you, you got to make the call. You contact your supervisor when you're like at a loss as an officer. You're like, hey, what? here's what I got. What do you think we ought to do here? And and the sergeant will kind of probably put it back on you and say, what do you got? What do you reasonably believe would show up? What do you reasonably work? If you go even that far and neither one of the two of you can make a solid decision about it, 
contact a state's attorney to contact a social worker and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? What are you seeing from your expertise? And, and that arena for us as cops has really expanded. One of the other areas that people like to talk about is what happens to cops when they engage in domestic violence. Right. I was going like, to bring that up next. Go ahead. And again, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, no, no, no. Go, I, go, I'm go. A super stupid. Go, I'm go, go, go. go. Yeah, no, it's go. all you. It's all you. Take a breath. We're going, um, go, go, go. And uh, I'll tell you one of the things, they're very, very, they're, that's a no mess around rule. I mean, you get involved in that and it's proven at work that you were the primary aggressor in a domestic violence situation. A lot of times you're looking at maybe losing your job over that situation. And we come from a very union labor controlled state. And even those situations are, you get involved in something like that because cops see some bad things. I mean, cops can become addicts, cops can become alcoholics, uh, become dependency issues. They see some of the off, uh, humanity at its worst, and at times there's no outlets. And you go home and you have a tendency at times to take that out on your loved ones. And most of the time it's just discussing it. And in and, and the other extreme, it's, hey, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to control it. We've done a great job of helping cops counsel. We talk to each other. We've understood that for a long time that that's not permissible. But when we first got on the job 20 years ago, we heard stories of guys of what they did and were kind of able to get away with. And again, and I think that's completely the opposite in the current police world. Police officers are not permitted to do these kind of things. There's a, you know, people say, oh, cops get away with everything and they can badge your way out of it. Hey, we go to a domestic violence call. We have to document it. We don't care right. who is there. Right. It doesn't matter. And if it's later redacted from a report, it generally is not involving a police officer, firefighter, teacher, anybody that's there doing the ground on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think with that, I think a lot of calls that I've been on where a police officer was involved, whether um, they were the um, abuser, abusee, or was their children, they're more likely today, they're like, yeah, I know what you got to do, what you got to do. Or before, they'd be like, hey, you know, can we, you know. But hey, what either, up, I think, what's up, man? Yeah. You hook me up here? Right, because I think even now, like, there's more, I think it's an understanding because this has become so prevalent. I, and I just, uh, I want people to understand that just, you know, as police, yeah, we may be able to badger right out of a speeding ticket, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, there's just, there, there's no... And we shouldn't tolerate it either, because no, we know what's going to lead to. Yeah, absolutely, and it gets worse and worse, and, right. I mean, and part of this, it's like, you know, um, it's like we talked about before, you know, policing our own. I mean, that's why, you know, you right. have all this stuff, you right. know, people you could talk to and stuff like right. that before it gets to this. Peer sport. Those right. kind of things. Like, reach out and find one of us. Right. And sometimes it's just, a, you know, guys talking to you straight about, hey, man, I know you're pissed, but here's the mo here's the noble thing to do. Stop worrying about your pension. Right. Uh, because there's no price tag you can put on your kids being that messed up. There's no price tag you can put on losing your job. You're going to lose your pension because you don't have a job because you were arrested for domestic violence. Again, domestic violence, although it's a class A misdemeanor, unless it's an aggravating circumstance, which bumps it up to a felony, which God forbid you're involved in something like that, is one of those cases that for a class A misdemeanor, more than likely you could be fighting for your job. And again, um, you know, that doesn't mean that gets through to everybody, but it's something that in our world, it's, it's pretty prevalent. I mean, we've seen chiefs all the way down to brand new officers that have gotten themselves involved in domestics and they aren't wearing the badge anymore. Right. So let's, uh, um, let's talk about, you know, like one of the, when you, when you feel, when you go into these calls, I mean, about getting emotional about calls. And, and I think I, this is probably one of the ones that I get emotional about, um, and most of it is because when, when it, it's somebody that can't help themselves, because we all took this job to help people, Absolutely. you know, and when you go, to, when you go to these domestics and you just have somebody that's helpless, whether it's, it's the victim or the children, that really, um, that really, that, that's probably one of the most emotional things that I come home and I think about, you know, I mean, besides like murder and, and all that other stuff, I mean, this is probably one of the, one of the top three that you come home and go, 
man, you know, I just want to go in there and grab those kids. I want to go in there and grab that victim, you know, and, and take care of them. And, and it's, it, this is probably one of the, one of the things that really kind of, you know, put you in a position where you have to talk to your peers or talk to your wife or your significant other, because it's so prevalent. What about you, Scott? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess as you go on in time and we're always talking about this job and what it is when you start and what it is 20 years later and everything else and building a frame of reference and all those types of things. And you think to yourself about your own experiences and your own home and your kids and everything that everyday things that people struggle with, um, you know, finances and, and disciplining kids and, you know, just everyday things that, that affect people in everyday life. However, when it gets to the situation where the police involved get involved and have to come to your house, obviously, you know, that changes the dynamic. I do find myself a lot more now um, when you're talking to people on some of these calls, again, as time permits and whatnot, but I find myself talking to people a lot more. I, I was always very cautious about, I mean, I still am cautious about all my personal information and what I tell people and this, that, and the other thing, but what you come to realize is with more time and experience and maturity and life experience and all those things, you actually sometimes will talk to people on these calls because maybe they're about the same age as you. Maybe you realize quickly that maybe they have some things in common with you, not maybe the domestic violence part of it, but just the everyday things. And there, maybe your kids are the same age. Sometimes maybe your kids even go to the same school, um, which is the case with a lot of officers, depending on where you live. So then you start kind of relating stories and you, you know, say, hey, listen, I understand this is what happened. I can tell you, you know, this, this or this happened. Or I remember, you know, we were just talking about something kind of like this in my house and, you know, those kinds of things. And I think that as time goes on and you, again, you can't, you can't fix every situation. Like Sean said, I'm there for 17 minutes to fix 17 years worth of problems. However, having some of those stories, those things to relate to, to talk to people to uh, or about you 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 feel like you're giving them some little extra uh, angle. You're you're humanizing it a little bit more. You understand them. Hey, listen, I know this is a terrible situation. I know that I'm here at your house um, because things got so out of hand that someone dialed nine one one. But let me let me share something with you about you know me or something that I've dealt with. Maybe maybe similar to your situation, or maybe something that I can offer some offer some insight. Something I struggled with. And maybe that's a little thing that can help you along the way. Um, when I was younger, you know, I had between my parents, um, there was some domestic related issues that happened in my, in my own home when I was younger and we did have the police at our house and not, not a, um, no domestic batteries or any violence of that sort, but, but domestic incidents. And you think back to some of that stuff and you think, wow, you know, I guess I really never thought about that. Or you fast forward and you say, Wow, I'm the person now that's you know at a uh, at someone's house handling a call like that and thinking about what was going on with those people back then. So I was too young and naive to really fully understand what was going on. But you know, fast forward thirty five years, thirty years, and you realize some stuff like that, and you try to personalize some of that stuff with people. And sometimes you you could offer them all the resources and therapy and this, that, and the other thing. Sometimes people just having a brief conversation and sharing some of those things that you've dealt with in your own life. Sometimes they get through to people. Yeah. And, and I, and I think, you know, Scott kind of talking about that is really helpful to understand that like it can happen anywhere. You know, um, you, you never know what happened to a person in their life and why they saw what they saw. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I think, uh, what I've learned a lot about it is that, you know, my existence was kind of very vanilla, very, 
my parents argued, but they argued it out and stayed together and, you know, made things much stronger for us. Like, you know, they made us all very, you know, worthy debaters, but at the same time, realizing that physical, (laughs) physical violence in a domestic situation is just not the route to go. I mean, can people stay perfect their entire lives with those situations? I don't really know because you don't know what people went through. One of the things that I've found is people are incredibly misinformed about what they can do to get the help that they need. Um, You know, like we talked about earlier, the orders of protection, the different kinds you can get. You get an emergency one, which is good for two weeks. You've got to re-up it. You can't just go out after two weeks or whatever. Then you got to get a plenary one that can last up to two years, depending on what's going on. There's several different kinds you can get, whether they be domestic violence-related orders of protection, uh, sexual assault-type uh, OPs or, uh, you know, stalking straight up. I mean, all of these things have to do with intimate relationships and things that you work on. And again, you didn't get this bad overnight and it ain't going to solve itself overnight. It takes a little bit of work. Like cops, just get them out of my house. Okay. Well, if it was that simple, we wouldn't be coming back to these places yeah, all the time. It's good for 48 hours. Right. right. And, and we do what we need to do. And we offer a lot of resources. We offer a lot of counseling and things along those lines, but people don't realize that it takes an active commitment on their part to fix the situation as well. We cannot be that intrusive in your life as police officers. We have to guide you, help you. And then at a certain point, you've got to step up and do what's right for you. Right. And that's one of the reasons uh, we were talking about those protocols. Scott was talking about those protocols earlier that when we document it, there's a follow up phone call. And that's that's to give people opportunity to say, hey, this is this is no good. You know, it's we got I got to get out. So these are resources that you have. And these are things that you have, like you're talking about, you know, the uh, the orders like. You know, the first questions is, you know, do I need a lawyer? What do I do? How do I do it? What do I need? Where do I go? I'm, right. You know, that's they assume what they for. don't have the money to do that and they right. won't do that. And there are so many resources out there that generally for most states attorney's office that can handle that for you. But it's our process as cops to better education, educate people about this. The thing we have to get past is that people are completely mortified that the police had to come to their home. If people are comfortable with us coming to their homes we got way, way bigger issues that we're dealing with in that house. But the vast majority of people that see the police during a domestic situation are mortified by the situation and want us out of there as quickly as we possibly can be. We have to conduct an investigation. We have to make sure everybody's safe. At certain points, if no one's willing to talk about anything and there's no obvious evidence as to what was going on, unfortunately, we just have to leave. I mean, and it's so frustrating to know, like, I wish somebody would have told me something more. And oftentimes, police came here numerous times and did nothing about it. Well, there's only so many things we can do. Right. And, 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 and part of this, what we're doing the show is to educate people on what they should do. Look up your domestic violence laws per your state and where you live, what your county does and how it handles it. Look up resources to do that, what you should go. We're just not talking to talk. This is real stuff out there that we see all the time. And it doesn't matter how wealthy or affluent your suburb is or what city you live in or because you're poor, this is accepted. And because you're rich, it will never happen. It's all crap. People get involved with each other and they become highly emotional. And hate is just as intense an emotion as love. They're just a little bit different in the way your body processes right. it. And one can lead to great things and one can lead to tragedy. Um, and it You've could have started it. out as one or the other. And it's the kind of thing that you have to educate yourself to this process. You got questions about this, please forward them to us when, we, when, when, when you want them. We'll be glad to do whatever we can to hook you up with the resources that you need. Right, right. And you can get those questions to 3 talk at gmail.com. That's a number three cops talk at gmail.com and again like uh like sean was saying know your laws know know where your advocates are they will help you through this process um you see like it, it, there's no light at the end of the tunnel there is um we've had success, some success stories that we'll talk about here in a minute but um 
just know that they're there and you know know what your know what your parameters are, know what your laws are. But and you also got to remember, just because the police show up, just like Sean said and Scott said, just because we show up and we take somebody out or we ask somebody for to leave, that just doesn't end it. You know, Absolutely. I mean, very, rarely it does. May, rarely, like you know, they're getting an argument and the guy, you know, the guy or the girl leave for the night and then we never go back there. Right. It's just a bad day because don't and that's we take that into effect. People just have bad days. Yep, um, we all do. So we take that into effect, but you know, it's, I think it's the totality of all the signs that are coming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, if you think, you know, you think that you see something tracking that way and you're going to have some kind of problem. Um, I know at least, you know, with us reach out ahead of time, if you think you're going to have some problems, see what, wherever you live to Sean's point, you know, whatever your state county police department whatever it has if you think that you are are gonna you're having problems or you see something tracking that way or you're 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 having an issue we will we will do what we can to try to offer you resources before it gets out of hand we're more than happy to try to help step prevent something before it gets out of hand so don't think that it just has you know i have to just sit here and take this take this take this or just let things you know just spiral out of control then by the time it's kind of too late and someone's dialing 911, now we're there to try to come in and, and, and help. I mean, we do, but sometimes you can get out in front of it too. Right. I mean, that, and that's really the big thing, you know, get out in front of it. And if you see like it's going down the path and, and something's just not right, you know, use your, use your advocates call. I mean, there's so, there's so many free things. Um, you know, the, there's a domestic hotline. I think, uh, hang on here. It's uh, 800-799-7233. 800-799-7233. And for people who like um, are always in their phone, there's a, it's hotline.org. Uh, you could actually get in there and just text people and text them the questions. I mean, and it could be something as like, hey, this is escalating or I see this or, you know, I have this, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, where do I go? And, and they'll walk you through it. Like, you know, maybe right now it's just kind of like a sign, just kind of be cautious of it or whatever. But there's all kinds of free stuff that out there to, to and call your local police department. I mean, don't you know? If some police departments aren't as large as ours, and they don't have resources, but they have eight hundred numbers, they have social workers, and you know, in different departments or someplace that that that, that will be able to help you. Absolutely, um, and again, uh, don't look at it like I looked at school. Like, yeah, eventually this will catch on, and I'll right, take right. take the advice of some <laughs> right. semi-government entity telling me that I need to get smarter. I mean, you can't wait that long. Like, you can't wait till you're in high school, so to speak, to really embrace education because now you're trying to catch up on a lot of different things. And again when we come there, it's definitely tough and we can definitely be viewed as bad guys because we have to draw a line in the sand. And if the police are standing in your house, it's a tough day. It really is. We get it. We don't like it either, but it becomes almost like not routine for us in a sense, but it becomes like, this is just another call I'm going on and here's how we handle it. We document it. We do what we need to do. We don't want to get lost in the whole idea. It's just another report. It's just another thing I'm doing. You know, Hey, it's another domestic tonight. I had two or three domestics tonight. Uh, for a minute there, you got to take a step back as a copper. And I learned this early on because I had been divorced prior to it. And and honestly speaking, my divorce went incredibly well if a divorce could. You know, long term, nobody wants to do that. You don't go into this going, I'm going to divorce. It's an out and it's an option. But everybody that does it has a tendency to look at it and say, hey, especially if you've got kids, it's a bit of a failure on my part. It doesn't mean that you need to live in that shadow forever. But at the same time, it's an option. And I'm not advocating for divorce attorneys here, um, you know, to to, to do those things. But think about that when you're going into it. If you have doubts, you get in a situation where you're at this level, get the help you need to recover. Um, and again, if you can pull it back together and stay married and work your way through these problems, that's great. But if you can't do it, don't expect that day to magically come. 
Um, you watch patterns and you see what's going on. Don't tolerate things that you normally wouldn't tolerate because you have children now. Or you, there are people that are caught up in the wake of this that never, ever will recover from it. And it can affect you for life. Um, right. It can affect kids because, you know, everybody here. So, you know, the, the kids see that happening. And, you know, whether you're the victim or the um, or the offender, that's what you grow up to 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 be like. I mean, if you've been if you saw your dad as a victim or your mom as a victim, well, it's okay to be a victim. That's normal. Or right. the abuser, vice versa. Right. And one thing that you see, I notice more as time goes on and we do more and more of these things and you, you go to more and more of these calls. Honestly, our, our job is constantly, we are constantly assessing situations and sizing people up. And, you know, we're, we're, always, we're always on alert. It seems like everything that we're doing all the time. And it's amazing when you spend this many years doing this kind of job and, you know, it, different people catch on at different times, but you'll go to some of these domestic calls and in the first five minutes of talking to the people that are involved, you have identified the person who is there and their attitude or their personality that is the controlling person in this relationship. And you think to yourself, wow, I can see this. I can see this from five minutes of talking to you and just your attitude the way you're talking well, right, to me they try to control us right and no 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 that's that's a bad and they think idea. that that's right. gonna fly with us and i mean really at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because we're there to make an assessment but you think to yourself wow this is so blatantly obvious to me as a person who's out an outsider who has interacted with your family very uh, for a, a very brief time and then you start thinking to yourself geez if i can see this how come other you know the other parties involved can't see this but that's i mean that's just a hard that's just a hard thing to do Right. And I think when you're going there and you're, and you know, and, and I always liked, you know, I always like that kind of challenges. And when you go to these situations and you have the abuser that wants to out talk you or outsmart you. So, um, I'm going to, a quick story. So we get called for domestic. Uh, the husband's the abuser. The wife is the, um, uh, the victim, uh, and one child, they were all victim. He came home in a drunken rage and whatever else. So long story short, and just so you know, this is not technically sound, but it's funny. So I'm there. Yeah. So it's me, uh, me, another copper, and they send a they, they send a boss, and we get the stories. Now he's upstairs, so we get everybody at the house, go upstairs, and as as we're walking in, the wife goes, "He'll open the door if you ring the doorbell." <laughs> I go, "What? <laughs> There's what? a ring, doorbell what? inside? Inside the house? Yeah, this is Carlton, your doorman." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so I stopped, and I'm like, "Like this doorbell?" She goes, "No, no, he sleeps in a separate room." And you have to ring his doorbell. And again, no signs here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm with I'm with the sergeant yet. and sergeant that I've known for a long time. So I get to the door, you know, and I put put myself on my stand in front of the door, and I knock on the door. And what comes out of the door was "F you, kick it in" without hesitation. <laughs> I kick the door in, go in, and we end up arresting him and stuff like that. And then as I'm walking out with this guy in custody, the, bo- the, the boss is out in the hallway just kind of shaking his head. You know, I'm like, hey, he said kick it in. I got permission, and that's all I'm going to write. Yeah. So I, I pushed the doorbell three times. I tried the doorbell, but nobody right, was answering. Right, right. right. But I mean, seriously. I mean, it was it, an arrestable it, offense, obviously, went in there for it. And oh, you have yeah. the signs for it. That's why you forced the entry yeah. there, because he's like, hey, yeah. he's you're a customer service rep at that point. Yeah. F you kick it in. Uh, okay. Right. Is this I'm, a request, sir? Right. Uh, you don't need to do it in writing. Yeah. I mean, and you and you do what you need to do to handle that. Wife was bleeding. Daughter was bleeding from the ear. Yeah. It was. But but again, this goes back to as funny as it was. It's when ring the doorbell before you come in my door. I mean, what? What? Right. You know. Right. Um, and you're just thinking to yourself, 
this is such an unhealthy right. situation. You know what right. I mean? Like I'm right. not here to judge anybody, but wow, that is right. that's a really unhealthy right. situation. Right. And but the good news is is that week, uh, about three weeks later, um, we get called for a standby. And she did use our advocacy, um, our social workers and stuff, yeah. and she ended up getting out. And we were actually there when, um, as a standby, tell her um, get her gear out, yeah, get yeah, her stuff out of her home, yeah, stuff. yeah, right, so, right, right. Um, it was it was actually it was actually one of my one of my better stories. How about you, Scott? Got a story? Help somebody out? Get them out. Um, and these I, are well, tough. Not many do. Yeah, I mean, uh, not one that jumps out at me, but I just know that over the last however many years, when we've um, again, I think I, I think our resources, we, we've gotten a lot more resources and um, things like chaplains and, and chaplains and some of the monetary stuff that they can offer. And you've I, I've seen a couple instances of a couple of women who had been, I guess, chronic victims of domestic violence and um, maybe had lived in other places around the country or around the state. But for whatever reason, you know, they were living in our town and that was something that we were, we were able to offer them was even if it was just for a few nights or a week and one woman, you know, young children, um, just getting her out of the house, just giving her a place to go and get the kids away to actually be out of that situation, not just, you know, sleeping on a friend's couch or in a car or something overnight with the kids, like actually getting her out and away from that situation and getting them involved with our social workers who are able to have a more uh, long-term plan for them. Cause we've, we've got some agencies around now that um, have are providing more housing for uh, people who are being victims of domestic violence and need some transitional housing. We, there's definitely been an increase in some of those transitional housing uh, availabilities around by us over the last just wow even the last seven eight years and i've worked with some of those people directly um the people who buy these apartment buildings and they in turn um allow or they provide residency for for women or men or whoever needs transitional housing with kids and things like that and getting to know some of those people on the other side of that i guess you know like from our side um and some of the things that that people do for these people and the follow-up with, you know, job training or, you know, helping them with resumes or even getting them, you know, clothes for them to go to job interviews. Just some of these things that you would never think are just such basic things that some people need. That is the one opportunity sometimes that people need just that one little thing and it gets their, their life back on track. Yeah, well, mine was uh, when, you know, I've been fortunate over my career based upon jobs or just timing and scheduling and things like that, that I didn't do a lot of, I worked holidays, but not a ton of them. Um, Christmas was one that I managed to, in a lot of ways, avoid, but um, around the holidays, domestics pick up, obviously, um, but I'd never gone on one on Christmas Eve, so you get a call for a, uh, you know, a domestic, uh, turns out to be, it sounds like it's violent based upon what the call taker's taking and hearing in the background. Um, uh, on Christmas Eve, it's two o'clock in the morning. Well, Christmas, I guess at that point, but to a little kid, it's Christmas Eve and we get there and <laughs> the place is trashed. Um, and you know, presents strewn all over the place, toys that we're going to be given about, uh, given out. And, uh, you know, the standard Christmas stuff that's going on uh, you know, for those situations. And 
the mom and the dad were just at each other and broke them up, tried to square things away. You're looking at this house that like, Hey, within, you know, if this is my house within two hours, kids are going to be up, you know, want no open Christmas presents. And, you know, you got past the emotion of the moment there and why these two were going at it with each other and they hate each other. They're getting a divorce, all this other stuff. They're screaming and yelling. And at the time we thought, you know, Hey, these kids woke up while we were there. I'm thinking to myself, these kids are like, five and six years old around that age. And I looked at them and I looked up the stairs and I'm like, I looked at the woman and I said to her, what are we doing standing here on Christmas Eve? I mean, these kids are expecting Santa Claus to be in their house, not two cops breaking up their parents from whatever. You guys need to live better than this because these are the moments that kids live for and you're destroying them. Like this is with them forever. And the two of them at that moment just shut up and said, you're right. Yeah. Oh my God. Like it was a like, moment of clarity. Yeah. A moment right, of clarity right. for me. I wasn't, you know, I was an agent of that. I'm like, Oh wow, that's cool that I said that. But it just dawned on me because I looked at these kids and I thought of my own kids and I thought, man, that's a Christmas that they're never going to forget. And Christmas is going to be that to them for the rest of their lives. Right. If you guys don't do something to fix it, we never went back to that house again. I never know what happened with that family. It's a 5,000 square foot house that we're standing in. And these kids are to the top of this like cathedral ceiling looking, you know, balcony staircase and they're looking down at us expecting Santa Claus and there's two cops with radios chirping and that's what it just it dawned on me I was like hey and, and it was a moment that I was like wow that's what this is really all about like you learn early on in your career like these are the moments that define people that make you treat your customers as a cop and hopefully I was able to help them we never heard from them again I don't know whatever happened to them what the long term was but this was like 10 years ago and that's just one that stuck with me for it and the importance of the role we serve as cops in right. those situations yeah. right well, we're going to leave you with a couple of things here. Again, the uh, um, the domestic hotline is 800-799-7233, 800-799-7233. And uh, you also can go to hotline.org and you could chat with somebody. And just one, I think one of the things that we're trying to get across to everybody is no, bet, no matter how bad it is, um, you have avenues to get out. Um, there's been a couple of recent stories where the one lady ordered a, a pepperoni pizza uh, from Dispatch. And the dispatcher was, you know, good enough to pick up on it and figure out what it was. And it was a pretty violent domestic situation. Another one was uh, a lady took uh, um, her dog to the vet, uh, convinced uh, for her boyfriend to take the dog to the vet. And he had a gun on. She went out, uh, handed the note to one of the uh, vet techs. They called the cops. And, and sure yeah. enough. So, yep. you know, it, it, it's not it, it, as bad as it, as it gets. There's always a way out. There's always some help. And again, you know, um, Call your local police department. Call these numbers and, and try and, and try and get some help and, and, and get out of there. Um, so, anything from anybody else? No. Nope. All right. If not, then thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, send all your questions um, to three cops talk at gmail.com. That's a number three cops talk at gmail.com. Also, do me a favor if you wouldn't mind subscribing and listening to the podcast. And thank you so much, everybody. Be safe. <laughs>